This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cabanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. Well, I echo what Pete uh, said, and... uh... Wish all the mothers a happy Mother's Day as well. Happy Mother's Day. Have fun at Charming Charlie's. Um, we're studying through the Gospel of John, so today I want to ask you to open to Luke 11. Luke chapter 11. Um, I'm not going to preach from John today, uh, but I want to bring a message that I, I hope will serve. Uh, the mothers in our midst, and will serve really all of us, all of us. You know, I was thinking about how would you answer the question if I were to ask you, why are you here today? I suppose there's a lot of ways you might answer that. You know, I'm here because I uh, love the Lord. It's Sunday. It's a Lord's Day. This is, I'm not here other days. This is where I come. I'm here to worship the Lord. Um, And uh, I'm here because someone drugged me. Um, or something like that. You could be here for a number of reasons. But I was thinking one of the reasons that many of us are here today is because we had a Christian mom. I mean, if you back it up, the reality is there's a lot of folks in the room that are here today, a lot of adults in the room today, that are here today because you had a mom who taught you the gospel, who modeled the gospel for you, and most importantly, prayed for you. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I meet that would say, well, you know, I had a praying mom. I had a praying mom. This church is filled with praying moms. And I I think it's perhaps, uh, well, I'm going to talk about this as we go on further. I I think it's perhaps uh, not only one of the foundational, maybe the foundational aspect of of our parenting and of your mothering is that role of prayer. I mean, thank God for praying moms. I'm here, humanly speaking, I'm here. Uh, well, I don't know how it would be here inhumanly speaking, but um, <laughs> at a human level, I'm here because of a mom. I mean, no one's had a greater influence in my life than a Christian mother because she led me to the Lord. And then she modeled what it looked like to follow him. So in my formative years, that's what I was exposed to. And so I would say, in terms of the trajectory of my life, no one person has had a greater influence in my life. And so I'm so grateful, and particularly for her prayers, which God saw fit to answer in his grace and by his kindness. So we're going to look at a passage on prayer. This is not a passage on motherhood, but I think this is a passage that will, I hope, encourage praying moms. And I think this is a passage that will also encourage those for whom this is a difficult day. Because this is not a day of celebration for all of us. There are folks in the room that have lost their mom in the last year or two or three or or maybe even longer, and it's still a, a difficult difficult for you. There are folks in the room that want to be a mom and aren't a mom. There are folks in the room that have had a child die. Uh, There are folks in the room that have a difficult, strained relationship with their children, maybe even their adult children. 
And so this is just not uh, all uh, sunshine and roses for everybody. Understand that. But I think that this passage will encourage and inspire those for whom this is difficult as well. So we're going to read all. Uh, we're going to read the first thirteen verses of chapter eleven of Luke, uh, and I'm only going to concentrate on the center verses. But but uh, the context is important. Verse one. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him. Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you has a friend? will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him what he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your Word, which brings life. We thank You for Your Word, which is breathed out by You and uh, gives encouragement and strength. We pray that You would open our eyes today as we consider this passage about prayer. We pray that You would speak to us, and I pray that You would sustain us And I pray that you would particularly encourage mothers in the room who find themselves weak, who find themselves empty, who find themselves uh, discouraged, who find themselves with with many weighty burdens in life. And for those for whom this is a difficult day, I pray that you would encourage and strengthen and grant persevering grace to all of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, verse 1 sets the tone. Uh, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. So this section's about uh, the Lord teaching his followers to pray. And then he gives a version of the model prayer. It may not be the version you're familiar with. I mean, you may have read that and go, well, that's different. Are you reading out of a strange Bible? Because that doesn't sound like the Lord's Prayer. Uh, no, I'm not reading out of a strange Bible. The version that we're more familiar with is from Matthew. So he may have given this on more than one occasion, or Luke may have just summarized a little bit more tightly than Matthew did. It's a model prayer. It's not a prayer for recitation primarily. It's an outline of how to pray. So he gives this model prayer and says, okay, here's how you pray. And then he shifts. And in the passage I want us to look at, he begins to give incentive for prayer. He shifts from how to pray to encouraging prayer. And he does so by showing that 
they say teach us to pray. Well, here's kind of the model. Here's an outline of what to pray. But you also need to be aware of God's attitude. Excuse me, the one to whom you pray. And so he informs them about God and encourages them to pray by showing them that God is not busy, too busy for them. God is not unwilling to hear our prayers God is not bothered by our request. Rather, he is eager to respond to his children's request. And in the passage, he shows, we'll see in a second by way of contrast, what God is really like compared to humans. And God is willing and God is eager to hear and respond to prayer. And thus, Jesus urges a bold, uh, what he calls an impudent prayer, a bold, shameless prayer to God. And he also recommends a persistency in our prayer because of the nature of God. So here's the point that I want to look at today as we talk about this this passage of the uh, of the neighbor of the bold neighbor coming over at midnight and of the following exhortation to ask and seek and to knock. That's what I want to talk about today, what he says right there. And I think the point of that passage is this. Keep on praying boldly because God will give you what you need. That's what he says. This is Jesus. Keep on praying boldly because God will give you what you need. Mother and everybody else, God will give you what you need. Okay, first of all, the parable of this bold friend. Look what he says at verse 5. Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him... So he's painting this picture. And when he says, which of you has a friend, the attitude is... He's, he's kind of saying, can you imagine this? And, and the way I know that is because the story that follows has the same emphasis. Look at verse 11. What father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Okay, what dad is going to do this? That's the same spirit of the previous one. Okay, suppose you have a friend. Or, or what kind of friend? Imagine this scenario with me. Suppose this is what... Can you imagine this happening, is, is what he says. So he's showing what a true friend would be by showing the attitude of this friend and say, which of you have a friend that would be like this, <coughs> that would say this? Excuse me. <coughs> okay. So here's what happens. Here's the scenario. So let's say you have a friend... And uh, he'll go to go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. So here's the scenario He's saying, can you imagine someone comes to your house at midnight and you have no food? They've been traveling uh, probably all night. People would frequently in the ancient world travel at night. Because it's, uh, it's, uh, the temperatures are so uh, difficult, there's no protection from the elements to travel during the day. So it would be typical to travel at night. And it says that he has, uh, you know, he comes in at, uh, at midnight and, uh, and has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. They have been, my friends have been traveling all night. And when you travel in the ancient world, you just don't, there's not stops along the way. There's not places to, well, let's get the kid, let the kids get out and stretch their, stretch their legs on the playground at McDonald's or something. There's just not an option. There's no Bucky's in the ancient world. Do you know Bucky's? If Disneyland married a truck stop and they had a child, <laughs> the offspring would be Bucky's. 
I mean, it, it is worth driving all the way to Houston just to go to Bucky's because there's one on on 75. I mean, it, it's unbelievable. It is the the mall of truck stops, and it is it's an experience. But they don't you can't stop at Bucky's. You just you just you, you you just travel and you get there. And do you have any food? Well, also you don't have a fridge, you don't have a pantry. People don't store up food for long periods of time. Oftentimes, you bake your bread, you eat it for the day, and that's what's happened with them. They have no bread. So what, we need three loaves. We have no bread for our friends. Now, he's also saying, lend me three loaves. Can you spot me some bread? Let me borrow some bread because I have nothing. And my friends are in need. They're weary. They're tired. They're hungry. And I've used up all that I have for the day. So he says, what kind of friend would respond like this? Verse 7. And he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut. And my children are with me in bed. I cannot give up, get up and give you anything. And no friend would, I mean, would a real friend do that? Don't bother me. I've already shut the door. Now, probably what he means is my children are in bed with me. Most people would have lived in a one room uh, kind of a house. And so probably what he means is the kids are all asleep right here. If I get up and walk across the room, if I remove the bolt, probably a large bolt would have been placed in place to lock a door in those days. If I get up and move this bolt and walk across the room, I mean, the kids could wake up. I'm shouting across the room so you can hear me outside. But what kind of friend would do that? What kind of friend would say, my kids are in bed. Oh, you need food? The door's shut. I can't wake them up. He says, can't you? You can't really imagine of a friend that would sort of act like that. But he says this, that even if that was the case, I tell you, verse 8, though he will not to get up, uh, will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him what he needs. So, it's, he won't provide for him based on friendship, based on relationship, based on love, based on care. But just because the guy is impudent, impudent enough, that means he is bold He is shameless. He is at the door knocking at midnight. I have a need. Because he's that bold, that shameless, that persistent perhaps as well, and he's outside the door at midnight, for that reason, he will respond. And so like comparing the father later, where he says, what father would do this? He's in essence saying, if an earthly friend would extend help to you, even with bad motives. If an earthly friend would extend help with to you, uh, even for a lack of care, how much more would God extend help? I mean, God's motives are completely pure. He's never selfish. There is no inopportune time. See, this guy is bothered because it's midnight and the door's locked and the kids are asleep. There's never an inoppor- There's never midnight with God. There's never a time with God when it's a bother. There's never a time with God when he would have to exert extra energy to get out of bed and get to the door and meet your need. There's never a time when it would be a hindrance or a hassle to God who is completely powerful and can do everything that he desires to do when he desires to do it without becoming tired. God never slumbers or never sleeps, the Scripture tells us. So if this friend would provide for the need... With all his attitude and all his inconvenience, 
and all of his limitations, what's God going to do when we bring a need to him who's altogether loving and is never bothered by his children? The last line is telling, verse 8 of the account, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. He's going to meet the need. If this man would meet the need with an ungracious attitude, how much more would God meet the need out of grace? Keep on praying. Keep on praying boldly, for God will give you what you need. This man gives what is needed. Now, parables generally have a single point, and uh, the single point of this parable would have to do with God graciously answering prayers. God graciously responding to our needs. God graciously answering when we present a need with boldness before him. But there's kind of a secondary idea here as well, because he goes on to talk about asking and seeking and knocking. So there is a persistence in prayer that he talks about as well, a persistence in prayer. And that really comes in these next two verses. Verse 9, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. So he he gives this further exhortation on pursuing God. Ask is what he first says, ask. Now this is a, you've probably maybe heard this before, uh, if some pastor wanted to get fancy smancy on you and pull out uh, like the one thing he remembered from Greek or something. Uh, he might say that ask is, uh, is present tense and a continuous action. And so what's really implied is ask and continue to ask. It's true of all the verbs. Uh, seek presently with an ongoing action, continuing to seek, knock and continue to knock. So there is this idea that we are to ask and that that is, that is a, there's a persistence, a persistence to that. Asking implies humility. Because asking is a recognition of our need. It takes some humility, takes some desperation, takes some humility to go to a neighbor's door at midnight and wake them up because you need some food. That, that there is an awareness of need there. And there is a boldness that my need, I've got my need and I've got the embarrassment factor of going and knocking at the door, but my need is going to trump the embarrassment and I'm going to traipse out at midnight or afterwards and beat on somebody's door because the need is there and he's going to humble himself. So asking implies need. That's why we often make uh, jokes and they're overworked jokes, but the jokes about husbands or men who won't stop for directions, right? I mean, they're true, uh, but that it implies an arrogance that nobody needs to tell me I'll figure this out. And uh, so And there's a lack of humility in that because there's a lack of asking. So ask is what he says. Ask and continue to ask, and it will be given to you. Asking also communicates something about our view of the person we're requesting from. I mean, he must have some confidence that a friend's going to help me out. So there's an asking of a friend. And when we ask of God, there is a statement of our confidence in God's character. In God's character. I mean, Jesus teaches us to pray, Father, hallowed be your name. Or in Matthew, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. We're coming to a Father. We're stating something about our view of God. When we refuse to ask, we may be 
communicating inadvertently something about our own self-sufficiency and lack of humility. And we also may be communicating something about our view of God, that we're not going to bring this and bring this boldly and bring this need again to him, confident that he will meet our needs. We don't perhaps really have an appropriate view of God if we fail to ask. I, um, I came across a story about Alexander the Great, and Alexander the Great evidently, from the story I read, had a philosopher in his court, and uh, the philosopher had uh, was lacking finances. I guess they didn't pay philosophers well in those days, but maybe like today. So he uh, it wasn't paid well, and he had a he had some kind of a financial need, and he asked Alexander um, presented his need to him, and Alexander said, "Just go to the treasury and draw out what you need," and. Uh, so, you know, I don't know if it's rent money or gas money or what he needed, but this guy goes to the treasury and uh, asks for what would be roughly equivalent to about $80,000 today. And uh, so he asked, hey, Alexander sent me, his, I have a need. He said I could get, get some money. How much do you need? $80,000. So the treasurer said, no, I can't. I got to confirm that amount of withdrawal. I can't just give that to you on your word. So he goes to Alexander and says, hey, the philosophers come and ask for $80,000 for a need. And this was evidently Alexander's reply. Pay the money at once. The philosopher has done me a singular honor. By the largeness of his request, he shows that he has understood both my wealth and generosity. He has done me a singular honor because he has demonstrated he understands my wealth and my generosity. When we bring a need to God in a trusting way, and when we repeat bringing a need to God with boldness in a trusting way, we are communicating that we believe He is the, not only capable of meeting our needs, but He is a Father who meets His children's needs. He is a good shepherd, the, the good shepherd that cares for the sheep. He is a loving God that takes care of His children. He is a protecting God that protects them. So asking humbly and dependently and often is a statement of our need, but it's also a statement of the one to whom we come. As Jesus said, pray to your father, verse uh, 2 of this passage. Secondly, he says seek and keep on seeking. To seek is to pursue. It's to look for. And basically what he says is when we seek for God or pursue him, we seek God, pursue him in the scripture, We seek and pursue God in prayer. When you seek Him, you will find Him. God is not playing hide and go seek with us. The timing of how we find Him may not be exactly uh, what we would script, but you will find God. That's the promise of Christ here. Thirdly, He says, knock. So ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. He's talking here about persevering, waiting. Now, when you knock, like if you knock on a door, you are, you then stop. I mean, hopefully, you're not just like that until they come to the door. Whoa, is this an emergency or something? Or it's a kid's playing a trick. If the doorbells just keep going and keep going and keep going, I'm, I don't expect to, to find someone over the age of 18 standing on the other side of the door when I open it. The kids do that, right? But when you knock, then you wait. You knock and you then wait hoping that someone inside, if they are inside, will open the door and grant you entry. Knock and keep on knocking. He will open the door. He will open the door is what he says. Some of us in the room have knocked and have wondered if God's at home because we've brought the request and there has been 
no response. And maybe we've stopped knocking because it just doesn't seem like he's going to respond. Some wonder if he can hear us. Maybe he's like, you know, can he even hear? Is he busy with other things? God's too busy for me to hear my knock. Or maybe God is not too busy. Maybe God's, it's a hindrance or a bother, and he, that's the purpose of the other parable. It's never midnight for God. It's never a bother. God has heard the knock. God will respond. Jesus says, knock, and the door will be open to you. Here's what I find so powerful about this passage. The disciples say, teach us how to pray. And so he gives them an outline for a prayer, and then he spends significant time talking about the character of God, the heart of God. Way more than he talks about the model prayer, because he does this whole thing about the bold neighbor. He does ask, seek, and knock, and then he does a father is not going to trick his kid, but is going to give him what he needs when he asks for something he needs like a fish or an egg. He's talking about food there. So when someone asks the father, their, their human father for something, he's going to meet their needs. So he spends a lot more time talking, you know, uh, four verses versus uh, eight verses here, twice as much about the motive of God and the heart of God and the character of God than what you're to say when you pray or the topics you're to pray for even. It's very interesting because many of us probably by nature don't think this way. We think that God isn't responsive. We think we have to do something to earn his response. We think that God is distant. We think that God will not answer as means of punishment to us. We think that we haven't done well enough. We think that somehow we have to do something to get, grab his attention so that he will respond. And so Jesus just hammers this. Six times in two verses, he promises God will respond. Six times in two verses, He promises God will respond. I mean, look what he says here. Uh, I tell you, uh, verse 8, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you, promise. And you will find, uh, seek and you will find, promise. Knock and it will be opened to you, promise. And if we don't get those promises, look what he says in the next verse. For everyone who asks, receives, promise. Everyone who seeks, finds, promise. The one who knocks, it will be opened, promise. He's just hammering this reality to him, to us, that God is gracious. He's not like the neighbor. He's gracious. He's loving. Listen, you can't earn his answer to prayer any more than you can earn Jesus dying on the cross for your sins. You can't merit his response. You can't be good enough to get his ear and to get his attention any more than you were good enough to get his ear and get his attention for him to provide for your salvation in his death and his resurrection. Jesus gives his life by grace for us. And Jesus answers prayer by grace as well. We must acknowledge our need and see that we need help. And we must see that he's this kind of a God. And we must ask And the promise is continue to ask and continue to be bold because this is the kind of God that we serve. Now, this isn't all that the Bible says on prayer. I mean, there's passages where we could talk about what's our motive, why are we asking what we're asking for. Scripture does say you don't get your prayers answered because you're asking with the wrong motive. James does say that. Uh, you wanna, you wanna, you're just selfish about your prayer. It's, it's all about you, you know, fulfilling your own selfish desires. So the Bible does say that. The Bible does say that we are to pray according to His will. 
So this isn't all that the Bible says on prayer. I want to acknowledge that. But it's a significant message that God answers persistent prayers. God answers trusting, humble, dependent, consistent, persistent cries of desperation. God answers the prayers of moms. And the room is filled with proof that God answers the prayers of moms. It is a foundational part of parenting. You know, we we acknowledge that when we do baby dedications. When we do baby dedications, we call them that, or child dedications. Uh, I suppose that's sort of accurate, but they're really parent dedications, if you listen to what we're talking about. Because it's parents standing up there holding a little one, oftentimes their first little one, but it doesn't matter if it's your first or your fifth or your tenth or whatever. It's, they're holding their little one and they're saying, help. They're saying, help. Saying, how I'm responsible till this child is an adult and on their own. Till this child is living on their own responsibly. I'm responsible for this child's care, their spiritual training, their provision, their teaching, their equipping. I'm responsible. God, how, how can I do this? I need you. When you bring a child home from the hospital, if any of you, some of you have had your first child uh, this year. There's some mothers, this is their first Mother's Day. Um, and when you bring that child home, you have this sense um, of helplessness. How am I going to do this? How am I going to get this child to eat and to sleep? And I, I, this is beyond me. This is stretching me. This is amazing. How am I going to do this? And that sense of helplessness that you feel as a first-time mom is designed by God and is a gift from God. And the confusion comes in when we begin to think that maturing in motherhood is like getting to the place where you have it all managed. I've got it. You look around. She's got it all managed. She's got it all managed. She's got it all managed. My house and my life are out of control. That's how we feel looking around. But the sign of motherhood and the sign of mature motherhood is not getting everything down. There's no one that becomes an expert in parenting unless they're talking about what we're talking about here. Expert in helplessness. Expert in dependence on God. Expert in seeing my need. Expert in asking, seeking, knocking. Expert in shamelessly saying, here I am again, help me, Lord. But if it's experts in techniques and managing things, I just wouldn't stick around and listen if there's not the message of, I need God. If that's not fundamental to the message of parenting, if the message, I need God, is not fundamental to the message of marriage, if, the, if, if I need God is not the fundamental message to the single adult, if I need God is not the fundamental message to the Christian, then don't spend a lot of time on that teaching. Because they'll just teach you how to manage your own self-sufficiency. And, and the Bible is opposed to self-sufficiency at every level. Maturity as a mother is not, I've got this down. It's that I see my need more quickly. I see my helplessness more clearly. I'm leaning on God in my need and helplessness, and I'm encountering him. That's, that's maturing. Awareness of need and then responding to that need just as Jesus teaches here. That's maturity. The mature person isn't less needy. The mature person just sees their need and responds to God. Your weakness, your need sets you up 
to encounter God. It's a setup to encounter God. That's true of all of us in whatever station you find yourself. Where you find yourself weak, that's a setup to encounter God. So you face all kinds of things where you feel weak, where you feel needy. The weariness you feel is to set you up to lean on God. If you were endlessly energetic and strong, you wouldn't come to God. If you knew it all, you wouldn't come to God. The uncertainty about the future, that separates you from God. You can't see what's going to happen this afternoon. God can see all eternity. What separates you from God, one level, is your very limited knowledge, which you can't even tell what's going to happen ten minutes from now. God knows exactly the end of the matter from the beginning. So we're called to go to the one who knows. The challenge that won't go away is a setup to encounter God. The days that seem mundane, am I really accomplishing anything great in life? It was survival. We made it through the day. The goal is survive. Is that really accomplishing great things for God? Well, if it's worship to the Lord and the care for your children, absolutely. But when things seem mundane, that's a setup to encounter God. When that sinful attitude keeps rising up, when that certain kid keeps doing that certain thing over and over and over, and that certain attitude keeps rising in you, that's a, that's a setup of weakness to say, I need to ask and seek and knock for me and for the child. When the financial need limits what you would like to do as a mother, when you find yourself with organizational organizational challenges, how do I manage and steer all of this? When you face a health crisis, or when your child faces a health crisis, that's the context of need that God meets us in. When you have a rebellious child, when you are tempted to be fearful for your children. These are all meant to lead you to prayer, and prayer is meant to lead you to God. They're all setups to encounter God. They're all for you to meet Him so that you see your need and are confident in Him. So first of all, if you find yourself in those and a thousand other places today, just be encouraged. It just means you're not God. I hate to break it to you. You're not God. Uh, and you're in a perfect place to encounter Him. You're in the place that He's designed for you to meet Him. That's good news. That's not discouraging news. That's good news for you today. There's a tremendous book called The Praying Life. We sell it at the Resource Center. It's called A, rather. It's called A Praying Life by Paul Miller. We sell it at the Resource Center. It is free. Free. Free as of 7.30, I just looked, uh, this morning, and I hope that hasn't changed, but it's free on Kindle. You can get a lot of good books on Kindle. I don't rep products, but you can get a Kindle, you can get Kindle for your phone, you can get Kindle for your PC, you can get Kindle for your Mac, and there's lots of free stuff, always. And this book is tremendous, and this book's free right now. So go home, get a Kindle app for your phone or your computer. You don't have to go buy a Kindle, just what you already have, and download this book for free. But this is what he says, um, or buy it at the Resource Center. This is what he says. He talks a lot about parenting in the book, but it's a book on prayer. He says, it took me 17 years to realize I couldn't parent on my own. 
It was not a great spiritual insight, just a realistic observation. If I didn't pray deliberately and reflectively for members of my family by name every morning, they'd kill one another. I was, listen to this, I was incapable of getting inside their hearts. That's the territory of God. I was desperate. But even more, I couldn't change my self-confident heart. My prayer journal reflects both my inability to change my kids and my inability to change my self-confidence. That's why I need grace even to pray. God answered my prayer. As, As I began to pray regularly for the children, he began to work in their hearts. For example, I began to pray for more humility for my eldest son, Jason, uh, my eldest son, John. As my wife says, the apple didn't fall far from the tree. About six months later, he came to me and said, Dad, I've been thinking a lot about humility lately and my lack of it. It didn't take me long to realize I did my best parenting by prayer. It didn't take me long to realize I did my best parenting by prayer. I began to speak less to the kids and more to God. And then he journals throughout this whole encounter the the amazing way God met him and met his family through prayer. To see our need, to be confident in God, and to encounter God. That's his plan for our lives, and that's expressed in prayer. Keep on praying boldly, the passage teaches, because God will give you what you need. And here's the thing. What you need and what you think you need may not be the same things. God knows exactly what we need, and it's often different than what we think. We think we need a different circumstance when, in, a, in effect, we need to continue in the same circumstance that we might encounter God. And we experience Him as we ask and seek and knock. He is... He he is your father. He's eager to show himself to you. Moms, the difficulty you face is a means for you to encounter God. And you, you may think today, what I most need is the baby to sleep through the night yesterday. And you're sleeping right now and not even hear this. Hopefully you'll get the podcast. And that is a need. Uh, sleep is a physical need. That, that is a need. But in the middle of that, what, is it possible God has something that he wants to do glorious and lasting in you as you ask and seek and knock and burp and feed and the whole deal, right? Is there something else he has for you? For the incessant sibling rivalry, is there something God wants to do for you as you cry out? In the limited finances, is there something God wants to do for you and in you and through you and to you, to encourage you and to sustain you. Uh, This is my personal experience. This is my wife's experience. See, we love it when things go smooth and easy, but I've learned very little about God when things go smooth and easy, very little. Thankful for blessings, but it's through difficult times. And God has used this very subject, uh, this very topic, to meet us and to help us and to change us in a way that we never would have known. He also used the book that I just referred to significantly. 
we walk through the challenge of um, parenting a wandering teenager and young adult, and she's given me permission to make this comment. She knows I'm saying this. She'll be in the second service. But, and this is no secret, the church knew about this and supported us and walked with us and prayed for us. But there were times when Mother's and Father's Day was very, very difficult, and for a couple of them, discouraging, and at times even hopeless for us, because we were watching someone we loved dearly walk away from the Lord. And I think in the midst of that, this this asking and seeking and knocking and crying out and trusting became so real to us. And I watched my wife's life change. I watched her prayer life change and her prayer journaling and her crying out to God and her persisting. Because though God never is for people walking away from him, he will work in that in the lives of those who are around them. And so we felt this utter, utter helplessness, this utter desperation. When your, your children are two, there's a certain kind of influence you can, there's a will you can exert. When your children are adults, young adults, then you see what was true all along, that only God works in a heart. And that we're desperate for him. And crying out for him. And our story had a happy ending. I know they all don't. Our story had a happy ending. Um, our daughter returned in heart to us. And more importantly, she returned to the Lord. And uh, is celebrating her first Mother's Day today with a precious child and our grandson who means more to us than anyone in the world. Arguably our children even. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> But he's a very close second. And in the middle of that, I think what we learned was, and are learning, and will continue to learn, but what we learned in a, in a, in a wake-up call sort of a way was that mothering, as we're celebrating today, is, is not just about doing a few right things, just putting in some coins and out, out pops the soda out of the machine. It's not just like doing the right method. It's living a life of dependence. It's living a life of need. It's crying out for God and to God to ask and keep asking, to seek and to keep seeking, to knock and keep knocking and waiting and asking him to change us and asking him to reveal himself to us in the midst of our need. And so whether your need in your greatest challenge today is with a two-year-old or a 20-year-old or maybe a grown child that has their own family that's off and doing their own thing somewhere else. No matter where you are, today I want to encourage you with the promise that God is a good father. That's how we're to address him. That God is a faithful God. That he is available. He's not busy. He's not bothered. He's not slightly ticked off at you. He's not distant. He's at work. And so come to him and ask. And when there is not immediate results continue to ask the promises he will give us what we need not always what we ask for but he will give us what we need and that was what we found in the midst of tremendous uh, grief in our hearts and 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 things that we were doing wrong and needed to repent and grow in and change in what we found is god was always what we needed each day he'd send friends with a word with a prayer with a scripture god would meet us god would encourage us god would strengthen us every day and And uh, 
That's what he does. He just sustains and cares. But we must see our need. And we must be dependent. We must cry out. And we must seek him. And we must knock, realizing he's not hiding. He's not hiding. He will show himself and strengthen us. My burden was to encourage moms today. And if you're struggling in any way, please find hope in God. And if life's going great for you, man, we rejoice with you. May this be a wonderful day and a wonderful season for you. We, we rejoice with you. We, we can identify, my wife can identify with great celebration, which today will be, as far as we know, great celebration and also hard Mother's Days. We know, we know a couple of those. So both, both. God will, God will meet us. God will sustain you. If things are going well, be encouraged. Thank the Lord and ask, seek, and knock. Don't rely on your circumstance and think that you don't need God. You do. And may we all have great hope in Him today. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org. 